Welcome to the For Love and Money podcast, the show where business and social purpose meet to inspire a movement for positive change. Here's your host, Carolyn Butler-Madden. Today, I'm joined by Nikki Sparshot, who is the CEO of Unilever Australia and New Zealand. Um, She was formerly global CEO of T2T, and she has more than 25 years experience in developing and building brands, growing businesses and transforming infrastructure and culture. She's worked for Unilever, the Coca-Cola company, P&G, and also on the agency side, George Patterson, Y&R. And she sits on several boards, including World Wildlife Fund Australia, Global Sisters, and the Australian Food and Grocery Council. She's a national member of the Champions of Change Coalition, a founding member of the B-Team Australasia and Climate Leaders Coalition, and she's a passionate advocate for business driving sustainable agendas that positively impact both people and the planet and being a true force for good. Hooray. The best advice she has ever been given was, when you are dancing on thin ice, you may as well tap dance. And that's how she lives her life with her husband, Graham, and their two children, Kira and Lachlan. Nikki, thank you so much for tap dancing your way to our podcast and making the time in your busy schedule for this interview. Welcome. And thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. I'm really excited to have you on the show because Unilever really is a leader in purpose-led business and um, and I've been following your company for a long time and and showcasing um, some, some of its activities and the insights that your business must have gained over the last 12 years will be so valuable to others, particularly listeners from the corporate world who I know many who want to move down this track or move down faster but but are struggling with challenges. So I'm really looking forward to you sharing some of those insights and inspiration as well. So I just want to kick off with the first question which is when you think about purpose in business do you think love has a role to play in it at all? You know I think love is such a powerful emotion isn't it? It, you know, it propels us to do things which we didn't think was possible. It propels us to put others before ourselves. It propels us in times of difficulty to persevere. It gives us that extra spark, courage and confidence when we, when we need it. So I think in life generally and particularly in business and, you know, the last few years are anything to go by where we've seen a multitude of, of curveballs of, of huge proportions, the love for your job, the love for the people that you serve has become a really, really important enabler in our organisation. So, look, I, I think love is one of those words that's not often talked about in a corporate context and yet I think actually it does allow you to do extraordinary things in difficult times. You know, for a long time, I actually felt that one day I was going to opt out of the corporate world. I was going to go join an NGO and then I would change the world. And what I realised, um, you know, well over a decade ago now, more than that, was I actually just needed to be part of an organisation that I loved being part of because they enabled me to have the impact that I wanted. They had great brands that served real people. They had a culture where you felt that you could show up and be yourself. And I guess tied up in all of that is is that emotion of love. Absolutely. And isn't that so true? I hear that story from so many leaders about wanting to leave the corporate world 
and go to an NGO. But it's just being able to be empowered in the organisation and, and also, you know, how much you can contribute through a for-profit business and actually lead the change in the world that needs to happen. And, yeah, love, absolutely. And it's it's really interesting, isn't it, Nikki, how even though people don't really like to talk about love in business, when they're talking about a business that they that they they feel positive about, they use those words quite freely without thinking about it. Like, oh my God, I love that business or I love that brand or I love what they're doing. And yet love in business, it is there. We just don't like to talk about it. I know. Somehow we, we, we put it down in that bucket of soft stuff and yet it's this soft stuff that is actually quite hard to achieve. But when you have it, is what can be an incredible source of distinction and differentiation, you know, versus other other companies. It's really interesting. I, I finished my um my Masters of Change at INSEAD just very recently, and my thesis actually was on uh, love and fear and how they're two of the most powerful emotions that people feel. Actually, they're almost at both ends of the spectrum, but both of them harnessed constructively actually can, you know, unleash superpowers that you never thought you had. And when we saw that in those COVID times, there was a real fear of being in this pandemic in a situation that we'd never been in before. And yet it was counterbalanced with such incredible love. How do you protect people's lives, their livelihoods? How do you uh, protect the people that are close to them? And at the same time, how do you leverage that to keep your business running continuously so you can provide those essential services and you can continue to meet the obligations of shareholders? Um, so it is that sort of in, in scary times, actually, sometimes it is it is that very strong love of what you do, love of who you serve and love of how you do it that enables mm. you to actually get through it. Absolutely. And um I, I, I had a chapter in my book actually called Acts of Love during the pandemic. And, you know, I think we all saw in, in the early months of the pandemic how, you know, businesses just businesses that just came to a grinding halt, how they literally just stepped up. Businesses of all, you know, businesses that didn't come to a grinding halt, but literally they were there to serve. Yes. It turned to service and, you know, caring and yet the soft stuff and yet that, that balance seems to be what we've been lacking in business today. Yeah. I, I love that. I love that introduction. Thank you, Nikki. Can you share with us um, briefly some of your background? What's brought you here? Oh, look, here's a whistle-stop tour. You know, I, I grew up in a, in a, a, a family with um, my mum and my dad. I have a brother and I have a sister. And I grew up in a very multicultural environment um, and in this kind of impossible is nothing <laughs> kind of family culture um, where, you know, breaking through glass ceilings was as much about knowing what ceilings other people put in front of you as well as what you sometimes inadvertently put up there yourself so you know I was very fortunate to have sort of parents that encouraged me to do to do things and there was also always this sort of notion growing up around you know aim for the moon and you might get the stars um which means sometimes you also you, you fail you know but at least you've tried and you've done something different look I think you don't I never grew up 
personally wanting to become a CEO of a company like Unilever. It wasn't something that as a five-year-old I thought about. But I think that entrepreneurial spirit, that business um, and trading mindset, that love of brands was there from quite a young age, you know, from the lemonade stand to then the, you know, cake stall to then the, you know, T-shirt shop, that sort of thing. I think I always really enjoyed business and, and being in the service of others in that manner. And there was also um, quite a strong kind of activist in me, I think, from a very young age. And whether it was, you know, being very passionate about the work that Greenpeace was doing when I was a teenager um, or even Amnesty International um, and then latterly really following some of the First Nations movement that was taking place, um, these have always mattered to me. I, I kind of sense injustice and want to be part of helping to improve it in just a little way. And I'm a big believer um, that sometimes you can feel overwhelmed by everything that is wrong with the world. And yet if everybody just takes one small step to make it a little bit better, that ripple effect can be incredibly powerful. So I guess you sort of fast forward those two things or the intersection of those two things, a sort of um, activist mindset where I, I really am passionate about what we can do to protect the planet that's given us so much and, and the community that are in it. And at the same time, I love business and driving profitable growth is something that's part of my DNA. And I, I really believe that both those two things can live comfortably together and in fact I believe they must live purposefully and constructively together if we have any hope of doing all of the things that um you know this awesome world is capable of it sounds like you were made for leadership in these times you know though those two things belief in in your role as an activist and a desire to create change in a world that needs it and your love of business and brands it feels fortunate for us that you have found your way to leadership because I, I believe that is the exact, exactly the kind of leaders that the world needs right now. And you know what I think as well, though, is it's exactly the kind of children, teenagers, young adults that are really emerging. So mm. we're, we're seeing actually this shift take place in society at large. And so I think as a leader, that gives you this incredible opportunity to harness actually the momentum and the passion that is already there in a really important way. Because, I mean, let's face it, as, as, a, as a leader, as a CEO in particular, there's very little that I can do on my own, right? So, um, you know, leadership is only as good as the followership that you have. And, and I really see my number one job to be done is to unleash the superpowers that sit in the organisation. You know, I kind of think about it a bit like a Marvel, you know, Avengers equivalent. <laughs> you know, there are people that have these incredible superpowers. They're all very different superpowers, but how can I make sure I understand where they sit, how I can bring them together in a way that allows us to do, you know, incredible things. Um, look, in crisis times, but also in non-crisis time, how can we use it to drive creativity? How can we use it to create innovation? How can we use it to be pioneering? How can we use it to use business as a force for good to help solve some of the world's wicked problems, but do it in a way that actually makes sense for the business that you're in? And I do think that's really, really important, is to be authentic about where as an organisation you can have impact and then use the core DNA of what you do to be an enabler of that because I think that's when it 
it actually makes most sense, but is also more easily achieved. Absolutely. And just going back to where you were talking about unleashing the superpowers of your people, and, and you've mentioned superpowers a couple of times already when you were talking about what love inspires, and it absolutely does. It, it allows us to tap into things we never even knew we had to, to achieve things. But, um, but yeah, that, that when, when we think about um, the, the Great Resignation or whatever you want to call it, and we think about the disengagement of people today in, in business, there is so much latent opportunity just waiting to be unleashed. And it is the role of leaders to do that. And yet, how many leaders do we see who just seem to be leaving so much on the table um, because they haven't recognized the opportunity of actually shifting their focus and you know meeting the needs of the time um, and but, using yeah. business to do that. I think it's just a shift from this traditional way of looking at leadership and organizations at large actually from this sort of chief atop a pyramid type structure to creation of a steerco of equals, sort of agnostic of function, of age, of hierarchy. Um, you know, what, what I've learned, um, and in some ways because I've had benefit in some ways because I've got it wrong, right, so it's a double-edged yep. sword, but is, is that idea that your, your expertise or your experience, your tenure can be your biggest strength but simultaneously the, the blind spot that you bring to the table. So I think as leaders, we have to have that beginner's mindset. We have to be prepared to say, I might have 25 plus years of experience. I may feel that I have been in this situation before. I may think that I have the answers based on my prior frame of reference. And yet all it would take is one variable to be different for that to no longer be true. So I think it's really important for us to come to the table with that beginner's mindset and like in martial arts there's that concept of turning up to every fight as if in many ways as if it's your first fight because then you know you're, you're hyper alert you're curious you don't take things for granted you know you um and I think that concept you need to take into business that 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 notion of not just listening but really active listening seeking opinion and advice from people that you would not normally talk to actively mm. seeking out diversity of thought and perspective and then coming to an informed decision about what you want to take but I think you know what you want to take forward but I, I think that's quite important it's interesting you mentioned the great resignation and, and I have maybe a slightly different take on it I'm not sure if it's the great resignation or if it's the great realization that mm. realization that you know, the last two years has shown us that we actually can do things differently and, in fact, we must do things differently because it's it's really heightened the fact that, you know, the fragility of our shared humanity. And it's not just the COVID pandemic, it's the rise of climate change and the impact that that has on food security. It's the political fault lines that we're seeing and the war in Ukraine, I think, is the most you know, obvious manifestation of that at the moment, although there are many other crises of similar nature around the world. And so actually we're at a point where I think people are just reappraising. Where do I want to spend my time, my energy, my effort? Where can I make an impact that allows me to create a livelihood um, but also do it in a way that's purposeful and makes me feel like when I show up every day I'm doing something that fulfills me? And I think they're evaluating companies, industries, professions, 
in a bit more of a critical way to then determine where they are going to put their energies and efforts. So great resignation maybe. I think it's great realisation and pause to just reassess what's important um, and with the limited time that we have, where are we going to put it? I love the way you've reframed that positively. You know, the great resignation is a very negative framing, which, you know, might reflect what looks negative, but the great realisation invites opportunity you know, invites leaders to look at it as an opportunity to actually um, evaluate how they can actually deliver on it themselves. Um, yeah. And, and oh, that just, there's, there's so much opportunity in that. And I'd love to ask you, you, there are many businesses who are waking up, who have been treading the path to purpose, who, who have been changing their businesses, but there are many business leaders who stay rooted in the traditional foundations of business as we know it, you know, a vehicle for shareholder return, profit. What do you think it is that that keeps them rooted there? I think there would be very few leaders that you would speak to who would say that wanting to drive triple bottom line impact is not something that they would personally like to lead for and create in their organisations. The reality is that to make it happen is not easy. (laughs) I think sometimes people fear what they don't know and they look at the immense change that might be needed in order to be able to realise that. Unilever has been on this journey for quite some time now, so for nearly 12 years, and we're not perfect in the way that we do it, but we've started it arguably a lot earlier than many other companies have. So we've got a few good lessons learned under our belt and some good track record and also some good insight into things that we would now do differently with the benefit of of hindsight. So I think the important thing is, is to not look at the opportunity cost that comes with doing it, but almost the opportunity cost of not doing it. Our consumers are demanding it more than ever before. Our partners and the ecosystem around us is conspiring to move us all in that direction. The investor community is waking up to the reality that this is also where good returns can be found. And, you know, money talks, and if that's fine, if that's one way that gets people up in the morning and acting on this, then then great. You know, it doesn't matter where your motivation starts or finishes. It's what are the actions that you're saying and what are the what are what are the actions that you're taking to close the say do gap. So many leaders say that this is important to them. What are you doing? Mm. Um, and I would say just pick one or two battles and get started. You can do everything, but you can't do everything at once. So just pick a few things that help build the confidence of your own team, first and foremost, that it's possible um, of that broader ecosystem of stakeholders that you have. um, And and for many of us that have shareholders, also the the shareholder community that, you know, demonstrate that actually you can drive profitable growth at the same time as having an impact on the planet and people. And they don't need to be an end or, in fact, there is huge power in the end end. Absolutely brilliant. So for listeners, I I still come across many people when I talk about Unilever, 
who scratch their heads and, and they're, they're not aware of the journey that Unilever's been on and they're, they're, you know, they know it's a big packaged goods company. So can you share with our listeners who may not know what Unilever's purpose is and what it means for the organisation? Yeah, so, okay, let me take 30 seconds on, um, on who is Unilever. So Unilever is one of the world's um, biggest, fast-moving consumer goods companies, and we may be better known by some of the brands that we have. So, you know, in Australia and New Zealand, we, we employ over 1,000 people and we have um, local manufacturing across a number of states in Australia, but we produce brands um, like Streets and Magnum, Dove, Weiss, Rexona, Omo, Continental, uh, ben and Jerry's and many, many others. So we, we span the grocery aisle from foods to home care to personal care and beauty to the ice cream category. What's so exciting about that is across the globe, we reach about 3 billion people every day with our products. And Unilever is a company that was born, you know, over 100 years ago. But this idea of purpose was very much in the consciousness of our forefathers. So if we think about Lord Lever, his mission was to democratise hygiene. He, he launched Sunlight Soap with the intention of making sure that in Victorian England at the time, everybody had access to just a piece of soap that we'd be able to bring um, better health, better well-being, um, into, into their lives at that point in time. Another one was Sir Thomas Lipton, who wanted to democratise access to a good old cup of tea to everybody as a very simple pleasure in life that at the time was very much limited to the aristocracy. So this idea of, of sort of democratising access was very much part of, of Unilib's DNA. Our mission, and it stayed consistent, for, for many, many, many years, is to make sustainable living commonplace. And at the heart of that is to ensure that we produce amazing brands and products that people love and that make them feel better, look better every single day, but does it in a way that reduces the impact on the environment and, in fact, has a regenerative impact on the planet and also contributes to a fairer and more socially inclusive world. So, I mean, if I, I summarise it for, for the team in, in Australia and New Zealand, it is consciously, deliberately having a triple bottom line impact. We absolutely want to have profitable growth. We, we have that obligation to our shareholders. But more importantly, when you are growing, it means more people are enjoying the brands that we love. And when we have profitable growth, it means we have more money to invest in our team, in the community, in the planet, in doing things in an innovative way, in pioneering, in thought leadership, and in taking up some of the difficult battles in being sustainable, because actually, sometimes it costs more to do the right thing. And we want to be able to do not the easy thing, but the right thing. And so we need profitable growth in order to be able to do that consistently well and it's about scaling your impact isn't it you, know, it you is. can't do that unless you're profitable so it's about being ambitious for the change you want to make and I I know Unilever are, are incredibly ambitious and I'm, I'm going to ask you to share that in a moment but I do want to go back because earlier you talked about you know the good that a business does in the world has to be credible has to be authentic and Unilever's purpose to make sustainable living commonplace 
you know, when you think you're a packaged goods company, the first initial reaction to that might be, what the hell? And yet, you know, if you turn your focus to that purpose, which you have, that's where you can create so much change. You have enormous influence in that sphere. It's not a little silo thing off to the side that you're giving back to something. It's your influence, it's your everyday activities. And that's what I find so exciting about what you guys are doing. It's really using your business in the best possible way to create change. Yeah, I mean, what I love about consumer goods is we make everyday stuff for everyday people. But it does mean by nature that you can have a bit of everyday impact. But so too can the people that buy our products. And I know many of our, um, the people that we serve, I hate the word consumer, so the people that we serve buy our products, they, they quite often say to us, I want to know what are the small actions I can take that allow me to also have a bit of an impact without completely throwing everything up in my life um, and creating you know, expectations and requirements that are just impossible for us to be able to, to do. So I think, you know, the fact that we reach so many people allows us to have that impact. But the, so how does that practically show up in a consumer goods company? You know, we've it all starts at home, right? So you need to start with your own backyard. So climate action is important to us. We've moved to 100% renewable electricity in all of our operations and we're now working with all of our manufacturing sites to see how we can use much more renewable um, sources of fuel in, in those environments. And that has a really big impact on the, on the planet. We move to um, hybrid vehicles and um, ultimately electric vehicles across all of our fleet in time because that's going to have an impact when you think about sort of the logistics. We encourage our suppliers to do the same because, you know, when you're a fast-moving consumer goods company, you, you do everything from creating the ideas and the concepts right through to getting them on the shelf. Um, and we have many suppliers and many partners that we work with along the way. So if all of us together in that ecosystem are making these changes, then that's a pretty tremendous impact that can be had also. Um, we are, we're really passionate believers about a waste-free world. And you know what? I think plastic has a role. It just shouldn't be in the environment. So how do we... How do we think about less plastic in our operations? You know, we've made a, a commitment that we will have 50% less virgin plastic by 2025, um, which means we need either less plastic, so products like our OMO um, ultra-concentrated dilutables product means that actually can shrink everything down, so by nature you've got less plastic. Or it could be better plastic. How do you use post-consumer recycled? So a bottle that's already been out in the environment, how do you get it back into our ecosystem? Um, and many of our brands are close to 100% of using, you know, post-consumer recycled plastic. Better still, what about no plastic? What if you didn't need to have plastic at all and you could have refill stations to go and buy your home care you know, detergents and washing powders, maybe even your shampoos and your conditioners. So this is about pioneering alternative business models. And that's very much on the environmental side of things. But the other component is, is the social side of things. So diversity, equity, inclusion, these are words that are bandied about pretty liberally, actually, at the moment. 
but it, you know, having very considered actions around how you do get gender diversity in your organisation, no, not just at an average level, but at the leadership level in non-traditional female parts of the organisation like STEM and manufacturing, um, ensuring that you have equitable pay for every single role. Um, we've embraced a reconciliation action plan because we really want to learn from First Nations people. And I have to say, when it comes to environmental management, there is so much untapped insight and expertise amongst our, our First Nations friends that, that we certainly at Unilever want to be able to bring into our business. And also for us, it's about, you know, Unstereotype Alliance is a partnership that we have. And, and that is really about challenging some of the norms that have crept into into society. And I'll give you one example there. You know, we've made the decision to remove the word normal from all of our products. Um, controversial move, according to some. But for us, it was a pretty obvious move because what is normal for one person is not necessarily for another. So who defines what normal is? Um, but it, it's quite easy to say, actually, the shampoo is for curly hair or for dry hair or for long hair. Um, so getting just much more considered about benefits. So that's a bit of a whistle-stop tool, but it is about just bringing it right back to what is it that you do and how can you have impact that's relevant for the consumer and for the organisation and for the team who you're asking to, to sort of create magic to make this happen. Enjoying the podcast? If you're looking for more inspiration, head to our website, thecauseeffects.com.au for more resources on how you can start using your business as a force for good. Or buy the For Love and Money book, Every copy sold allows us to protect one square metre of rainforest. Help us save 10,000 square metres by 2025. Your compass strategy, which is looking forward, I, I know you've talked about some of the things in there. It really feels revolutionary, some of the things that you're doing. And I guess it goes to, to the fact that when, when you are driven by that higher purpose, you don't have a choice but to think about you know, how to do things differently, which, you know, you talked about being pioneering, but but that's what drives, that that's leadership. It comes back to leadership and the business is a role model for leadership really, isn't it? Yeah, and, and for, those, for those people that might be listening that, that don't know what the Unilever Compass Plan is, it's effectively, what I love about it is 12 years ago, we launched the Unilever Sustainable Living Plan. And this was um, very externally published commitments around how we were going to do business differently such that we could double our business but halve our environmental impact and reach a billion people in the process and help lift their, their lives and their livelihoods, which was a pretty audacious task that was set at the time and it did really require a re-engineering of the value chain across many parts of our organisation in order to make that happen. What the compass is, though, and that was launched two years ago under Alan Job's leadership, so he's, he's the current CEO of Unilever, was to say rather than having a Unilever sustainable living plan and a business strategy, how do we make them inextricably linked? So our business strategy is embedded with the way we do business. And as you say, Caroline, that makes it then one and the same. It means that every choice that we make as an organisation, we need to ask ourselves, is it good for business and is it good for society? And if it's good for business but not good for society, well, that's not good enough. 
if it's good for society but not good for business, that's equally not good enough. We at Unilever need for both of those things to be true, to be able to deliver that financial return and that performance orientation, which we really pride ourselves on, and simultaneously do it in a way that um, has that positive impact on people and planet in equal measure. A couple of things there. So, um, you know, you talked about the big goals and I, I remember when I first read about Unilever's Sustainable Living Plan and I read about those goals and they they were huge, like massively ambitious. And I remember reading um, that I think Paul Polman, who was the CEO at the time, said, look, we know these are crazy ambitious goals and we might not achieve them, but... You know, it goes back to what you said, shoot for the moon and, and reach the stars. Um, and that, I like, to me, that goes against so many management principles, right? You know, have goals that are attain achievable. But it's like, no, we can't afford to think small, can we? You know, the world we live in today needs solutions and we need leaders who have big, ambitious goals who can actually take us there, you know, and, and that's, yeah. That's huge. I think. I think it's that interesting concept of set a really big, hairy, audacious goal and fall short of that. That's better than lowballing a target and consistently delivering it. And it goes so against our grain, you know, of how we've been sort of, well, you know, brought up in traditional organisational constructs. I think we're over time, and I think this isn't just of today. I think this has been coming for some time, and some organisations have embraced it much earlier. But we need to be celebrating curiosity. We need to be nurturing courage. We need to be creating environments where there's space to experiment and sometimes get it wrong. We need to be able to have psychological safety in an organisation such that you can surface issues fast, but you can also get solutions fast. And I tell you, during COVID, the stickiest situations we found ourselves in and they felt like they were coming thick and fast every single day were very rarely solved by the team sitting around the C-suite table and not because I don't have an awesome, you know, team but because the people closest to the operations, closest to the problems, they're the ones that can bring you solutions that you might not have considered from your vantage point. And I think that's where, you know, we need to sort of shift the needle. So set big audacious goals and sometimes you'll fall short, but actually the sum total of what you've delivered is going to be better than what you would have done had you missed every lowball target. The second one is use the superpowers, and I'll use that word again because it's something that's really close to my heart, in the organisation and the power of distributed leadership. Don't worry about hierarchy. You know, understand who your people are and how they can contribute because what I have learnt is most people in an organisation are hugely prepared to do that and do it in a way that is exciting, delightful and hugely impactful. Um, yes, and celebrate the wins. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, you know, celebrate the failures as well, I think. Um, and I, you know, I say that carefully. But you, we, we have someone in our, our team over the, the time during COVID and he would say we're going to have a beer for the successes and we're going to pop champagne when we have a failure that we've discussed the learnings for 
so that we don't do the same thing again. And I thought that spirit is a very cool spirit um, and it gives people space to, to, to just be a little more courageous. And I do think we need, you know, I, I'm kind of a big believer that care, compassion and courage, they're the new corporate currency. Care, compassion and courage. Yeah, I love that. And it goes right back to unleashing the potential of people, unleashing people's superpower. Um, and when you have those big, crazy, audacious goals, um, that's what you're depending on. Every single person in the organisation and it makes people feel important, needed, that they've got to put forward their best. Maybe, you know, the great realisation is I want to feel valuable. I want to feel like I've achieved something that I can feel proud of. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, on that, you know, when we talk about diversity, equity and inclusion at Unilever in Australia and New Zealand, we, we take a step back and go, well, why are we doing all those things? And it goes back to your point there, because at the end of the day, we want to create an environment where people feel they belong. Actually, mm. human beings... Um, doesn't matter where you are in the world, what culture you're from, what religious background you have, there is this innate desire to feel part of a tribe where you can belong and where you can show up in your most authentic way. And that doesn't happen by chance. That has to be cultivated so that, you know, people feel that that is genuine. And when you can do that, then then actually you, you, you're able to unlock a few things that you might not have been able to unlock earlier. That's a great ambition, I think. And, and I've no doubt it's, it's not easy. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to understand, you know, because it's easy to celebrate what Unilever's doing and, and, you know, imagine it as this company that's, that's really got everything going for it and you're fighting the fight, but... There's a lot that people, I, I guess every single person who works at Unilever, except the ones who have it luckily as their first job, come to the business with what they've experienced in their lives before with other businesses and, you know, have preconceptions and assumptions and you've got to break them all down if you're really to, going to harness that. But I'm curious to understand what being a purposeful organisation has done to the kind of people you attract and how they operate? So a few things. I, th I think we, we for sure, if I think about the organisation that we have at the moment, the people in it, there is this thread <laughs> across all of them for wanting to, they passionately believe that purpose and profit can go hand in hand by and large. Now, that's not to say that that's easily achieved. I have to tell you, some of the commitments that have been made by Unilever globally and then, of course, we need to take them up locally and work out how we're going to solve for them. Yeah, sometimes I sit there with the team, sometimes by myself, and sometimes I look at it and just think, I have absolutely no idea how we're going to be able to make this happen. And then you talk to other people and they also have no idea about how we're going to make it happen. But then you start to expand your network and your conversation beyond your own four walls of Unilever and you start to invite other companies in. You start to talk to other partners in your ecosystem. You talk to NGOs. You talk to startup organisations. You talk to academics. You talk to university students. 
And all of a sudden you start to realise we don't have all the answers, but they've got some pretty good solutions for how we're going to crack this. So I think, oh, you know that Elvis Presley song, A Little Less Conversation, A Little More Action? Yep. I actually quite often say to the team, we need to flip it. We need a little more conversation to inform the action that we mm. take because otherwise the risk is we might just go, there's no easy way of doing this. Um, and quite often there isn't on your own, but there is when you, you know, you partner with other people to get it done. So we tend to attract people that do believe um, that purpose and profit can come hand in hand. They tend to be curious. They ask lots of questions. They offer up suggestions and solutions. They want to have a bit of impact. Like I don't know how many people I speak to that say, I do want to feel like I'm making a little bit of a difference. I do want to feel like I can set an example for my children. I do want to feel like I'm part of an organisation that's happy to experiment a little bit and, you know, sometimes we're going to get it wrong. And even within our organisation there are some sceptics and some cynics. Um, Do you know what, though? That devil's advocate role is a really, really important role to have on a team. You know, harmony I don't think is good in an organisation necessarily if all it does is drive confirmation bias. You actually need a few people saying, Nikki, does that really make sense? Or really, Unilever, is this something we want to do? Is this something we should be doing? Is Do we have the right to do this? Do we have the capability to do this? And I think rather than shy away from those cynics or those naysayers or those devil's advocates, just a moment to listen to what they're saying can also help you either strengthen your own conviction or help convert somebody else to, to sort of why we're as passionate as we are about this. That's great advice. And I guess those naysayers or cynics or, or, or those who are challenging you also represent the outside market, a big yep. chunk of the outside market. So it and and that is something you've got to take them along with you, parts of, of the out, you know, the outside market. So the traditionalists perhaps. You mentioned partnerships as well. And I know I know I read um the book Net Positive by Paul Polman and, and Andrew Winston. And I loved, um, you know, the part that talked about partnerships and the partnerships that you create, not just with NGOs, but with, with governments. And, you know, it's really world changing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we talk about it as a kind of coalition of the willing and able and passionate, actually. You know, we're not going to be able to solve for these things on our own, but everyone has a kind of really important piece of the puzzle that when you bring them together actually can create the final picture. And so we we do very much um, go out of our way to do it. And I also think we set some fairly high standards, as do our partners of us. So you sort of help each other to raise the bar. We, we've had suppliers that when we embarked on this journey, we said to them, this is what we're, we're planning to do. And, you know, there was a, a group of them that, that said, absolutely, we're on the same bus, so we're all in. There was a group of them that said, we we love the intent, but we, we haven't even started on this journey and we're not really sure how. And you know what? That's okay too because we learn together and we build together. And then there was a small minority that just said, this isn't for us. And we decided to part ways. And I think that's important as well. Conviction is important um, around this topic, especially when you have the naysayers out there 
you know, it's important to, to genuinely believe in what you're doing, be open to input and to stay the course because sometimes, often, it's not easy. And you need to have a shared vision for that, you know, and your vision being a world where sustainable living is commonplace. So, yeah, that, that conviction is so important. Nikki, how does a company like Unilever balance profit and purpose? So we want to be a high-performance company that demonstrates to the market that you can be a strong financial performer and simultaneously be a force for good in society, both on the planet and on the communities that we serve. So it starts from a belief that both is possible. We don't want to be positive impacting the planet and society but not delivering strong year-on-year performance because actually that strong year-on-year performance is a measure of brand love, of how much people are choosing Unilever brands and products over our competitors. And what we're seeing more and more actually is that people are choosing brands with purpose. They are are looking for brands that are sustainably made. They are looking for how products are sustainably sourced. They're looking for um, the impact that you have in your belief systems. You know, we're seeing that more than ever before. And in the recent years, we're seeing that convert to the money I'm prepared to spend. So in the past, there was this, of course, I want a brand that has a positive impact on the environment. Of course, I want a brand that has a social purpose. But, you know, fast forward at the point of sale, am I going to actually pick up that brand and pay a little bit more for it? Maybe not. Whereas now we're actually seeing people make choices with their wallet about the brands they choose. And equally, I think companies like Unilever and others um, are realising that it shouldn't cost the earth and pardon the pun, you know, mm, <laughs> in that it yep. shouldn't cost the planet, but it also it, it shouldn't cost a huge amount more money to have sustainably produced and consciously produced products. And, and the more companies embrace this, then the more that we can actually reduce the costs for all of consumers. So whilst, you know, being a purpose-led company and having purpose-led brands may be a source of competitive advantage for Unilever. Actually, we don't need it to be. We want to be able to raise the floor and lift the ceiling for the whole industry so that I everybody that. is doing that. I love that. I love that. And that that's such a that's such a great um, yeah, that's such a great way to look at it. And and it's actually really leaning into your purpose in the most ambitious way when you think it's not just about you your consumers your employees it's about the industry as a whole and then the ripple effect out to wider business Um, I want to ask you I read a recent article you wrote the great uh, great resignation or great realization when play and purpose force leadership appraisal and um, and you talk about the concepts of play purpose and potential to strengthen uh, performance can can you share a little bit about that with our listeners yeah, look, I was I was privileged enough to to listen to um it's Lindsay McGregor actually who was talking about the book 
And she, you know, she was talking about play, purpose, and potential as the primary motivators of people generally. Uh, and for so long in organisations, we talk about things like financial incentives and whether or not that's going to unlock greater performance. But I think at our core, you want to turn up every day and we all spend more time at work than we do with our families and friends, right? So there has to be like a bit of joy in it. Um, and I think most of us would like to think that we we work to live rather than live to work. And what really appealed to me about just that concept was how do we take what we do seriously but not take ourselves too seriously? Mm. How do we create this sense of lightness and play uh, to create a culture where people can feel at ease, um, where you can create the stretch and the safety net, you know, and bring a bit of humour at times to those moments that need it? Purpose, of course, is one that we've always been passionate about, but this idea that people do want to turn up every day and some articulate it incredibly well, others just know that they just want to feel like they've used their time well. So this notion of purpose, an individual purpose, now I'm not talking about company purpose, I'm talking about, you know, what motivates me, what's my purpose, what gets me up in the morning and can I do that in an organisation that I'm part of? Um, resonated for all the obvious reasons we've discussed already today. And then this idea around potential. So if I've got a culture that I feel good about being in, if I can come to work every day and feel like my personal purpose is, is just, you know, my bucket's being filled just that little bit, and then I feel like I'm part of an organisation where I can grow, where I can thrive, where I can experience new things then that, that actually keeps motivation really high. Um, that creates really sticky businesses, um, sticky teams. So I referenced it simply because it resonated for me just as a person, as a mum, as a wife, as a leader, as a friend, you know, this idea of, you know, keeping things light, purposeful, knowing that there's potential and, you um, and, I, and I, it's something that we, we try to bring into the business at, at Unilever as, as much as we can. They work so beautifully together. And when, when, you, when you're talking about play and the ease and the lightness, the thing that jumps out at me is it's an antithesis to ego. You know, it, it keeps ego at bay. And I guess when, when we look at, um, you know, examples of poor management, it's usually ego that's come out to play in a big way and that comes back you know it goes back to that love and fear thing right and that goes back to fear usually doesn't it um yeah. but it's it's one of those negative emotions but play purpose and potential i'm going to um read the book that you reference in that article it sounds it sounds amazing um thank you for sharing that many um large businesses that i come across have a purpose statement but when you dig a little bit uh, or, or they say yeah we're purpose-led and then you ask them what their purpose statement is and often it's just a passive statement of context for their products and services, what they're already doing. And you can see that statement going in the drawer and it's like, yeah, we've got a purpose statement. That means we're, we're purpose-led, but it's business as usual, right? And I, I guess I'm interested, what do you think are some of the big risks for those businesses that are continuing down the business as usual path, thinking that they've you know, done what they need to by having a purpose statement? 
I think at some point you want to be match fit. And being match fit means you have to invest in, you know, your fitness along the way such that you're ready to play the game or, you know, run the race, et cetera. And so a statement of intent is not sufficient. You need a statement of intent and then you need some meaningful actions that will get there. And I think what scares all of us, and I put myself in this bucket, is that we're flying the plane and building it at the same time because it's Mm -hmm. such foreign territory and that's really uncomfortable I think for anybody in any organization irrespective of the role that you hold and it's particularly scary when you're supposed to be leading the organization confidently (laughs) into the future but having to recognize that that future is not so neatly laid out It's, it's ambiguous in some areas and so I think the biggest risk is that People can sense a lack of authenticity. People can sense a lack of genuine progress. So, you know, in the same way you can greenwash, you can purpose wash. You, you want to be able to do the double click because what, what we're finding for sure is that's what consumers are doing. They're doing the double click. They're getting under the skin of, well, this company says X, but what are they actually doing in this space? Um, And quite often we find, I mean, I get letters from from people who have taken the time to, you know, on topics that are really important to them to say, hey, Unilever, you say X, but when I have a look into what you're doing in your business, it feels like this is happening instead. Help me to understand. And quite often we find that it's just they don't have access to the latest information. We haven't done a good enough job at communicating it. But when we do, the feedback is incredible. They'll usually come back and say, gosh, you've got to share that with more people. Have you? I don't think people are aware of the work that you're doing in this area. So I think the key is set the ambition high. Articulate a few things publicly that you're going to do and get started on them. Be transparent about the fact that you are on the path but you're not 100% sure on how you're going to get there. And I think sometimes the demands of the stock market put us in situations where we feel like we have to have everything 100% buttoned up. And, And I think we're at a point where many things do need to be buttoned up. There are some things where we can say we are 50% confident that we'll be able to land this And we are working through the rest of it because actually we need to find solutions that make sense for the business, make sense for our employees, for our shareholders and for our other stakeholders. And I think just giving rise and openness to that, I think, can help enormously. And that transparency takes vulnerability, doesn't it? And that's that's scary to a lot of leaders who have been brought up on the traditional, you know, command and control Um, philosophies but the truth is the way you are leading the way other purposeful organizations are leading it's actually the only rational option we can take if you really think about it it is a rational response to the situation we're in Um, yeah it's a it's an interesting one as well so there's strength in vulnerability actually and I think at times And I felt it in bucket loads over the last two and a half years since I've been in this role and since we had to navigate some, you know, bushfires and floods and pandemics and wars and 
inflationary environments, closed borders, you know, you name it. It's been like a, a concentrated masterclass of everything you might want to experience in business. When you ask for help, people are prepared to help you. You just need to be clear about where you need help. You know, I've, I've been privileged enough to sit in another, you know, in many forums with um, CEOs that lead a number of different companies across Australia and New Zealand and across different industries and the generosity that sits in sharing problems and recognising that the problems that we think are unique to our organisation are not. They're actually very common. Sharing best practice in order to create next practice is quite powerful. But as you say, it requires you to be vulnerable about what you can't solve on your own, where you need help, asking for help and giving generously when people ask you. Yeah, look, Nikki, I could I could talk to you for ages, but I need to let you go. So I'm going to wrap up. Thank you. I want to ask you to address a corporate leader who knows they want to go down this path, but just doesn't really know how to start. What would your advice be to them? You know, for those of you that have kids and for those of you who are surrounded by younger people in your organisations or outside it, you know, take the same advice that you would give to them. You would say, give it a go. (laughs) Better to have tried and failed than never to have tried. So just pick one or two battles. That's it. And create momentum around those because success breeds success. And once you've done a few of those things, you'll be amazed at the people in your organisation and your broader ecosystem who will conspire to help you do more and help you do it faster. That is wonderful advice. Thank you so much. Nikki, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. I've loved um, hearing your reflections and, and I have no doubt that listeners will get so much value out of this episode. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the For Love and Money podcast. If you'd like to take a deeper dive into the purpose movement, visit us at thecauseeffect.com.au. And remember, doing good is good for business. So if you're not doing good, then what are you doing?